0: film runs through our veins and continuously makes us interact with it i'm your host edward frumkin and this is real print in this episode contributor jonah desno and i dissect and analyze the competition programs and other non-jury programs at this year's cph docs then i review fatal attraction nick robbins recommendation and finally in today's concluding thought I share my thoughts on traveling when I live in the tri-state area. Some portions are recorded on Zoom, so bear that in mind when you hear the audio and enjoy the show.
1: Thank you for coming to today's talk about this year's CPH, CPHX docs, Jonah. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Eddie. Let's talk some docs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for those who don't know what CPH Docs is, it's the Copenhagen's Documentary Film Festival, which is the largest such festival in Copenhagen. And it's really a great annual um, best of the early 2022 documentaries with very few from the previous year. And, uh, and they have a few competitive competition programs like at Sundance, South by, et cetera. But let's go with the, the main award, the Docs Award. Some films that you might have heard of includes Sarah Dosa's Fire Love, that I got a chance to see at True False. And uh, some Sundance hits includes Navalny, a uh, Russian opposition leader, Alexo Navalny being a detective and a supposed murder victim in the docu about his assassination attempt and midwives that won a jury award at Sundance, which is about a complicated relationship between uh, R- Rohingya and Buddhists in Myanmar, and is told over five years through the eyes of two midwives from either side of the divide. And Real fast,
2: what did you think of all those since you've already seen them?
1: I only saw Fire Love, to be honest, but... Okay. It's great to know that I'm familiar with Navalny, which I'll catch later on CNN or HBO Max and Midwives. I wish I saw a big guy but I haven't. But I just explored to see how those familiarity with Ford f- films that are familiar with American audiences coming to its international premiere at CPH and uh, some other films I'm excited to hear about are holidays, which is a black humor film that's takes place in Russia's during an upbeat Balika pace and uh, about the vast inscrutable country east, as well as they made us the night, which is a supernatural tale about myths intruding in an unpredictable and dream like Mexico about family living in the shadow of the apocalypse. Those are other films I excited, but if I have to choose a winner, I think I'll go with Under the Sky Shelter due to its black and white imagery where a shepherd crosses like the lands with thousands of sheep. And the still of that film made me think, oh, I think it's going to win
2: the top award. I agree. The still alone is very haunting. Um, it caught my eyes right away. I personally did not know much about the film festival. I think I've heard about it before, but looking at the lineups for all of the awards, I was so impressed. There are so many films that make me want to book a ticket to Copenhagen right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it, any other reasons why you think Under the Sky, under sky Shelter um, might, might take the edge? Um, to be, as I said,
1: I have, some of them are films that have played outside in other international film festivals, but I don't know for certain, but it's just a guess. If I have to go with the three films that I'm already familiar of because of Sundance, I would go with Navalny, where he will have a lot of roles within this um, docu-thriller as well as it was a very last minute announced due to the protection of Navalny. So Mm -hmm. there is that. legal thrill within that movie that will make me think that'll be an honorable mention?
2: Sure. Um, For mine, I was looking to see what won in previous years um, for each of the awards. And with the Doc Award last year, it went to The Last Shelter, which is about um, African migrants and two girls and a woman who are sharing a space in um, a migrant community, talking about their dreams, about life and everything. So if they keep going on that trajectory, I feel like they're still gonna take heavy subject matters um, that are relevant to critical issues, um, but still have that personal touch. So with my prediction, I think Outside might make it by Wolana Zebra, um, which is a Ukraine, Denmark and Netherlands doc. It is about a 13 year old boy who is the poster of the Ukrainian revolution. Now Roman is back on the streets with nothing in his pocket, but a lighter and a knife. Can he get his life together before it's too late? That's a general um, description. With everything going on with Ukraine right now, I think that's going to be very relevant. And to paint a very personal story of someone who's on the streets facing the hardships in that country, um, I think that's going to have a lot of eyes on it. And if it's good, I think it can take the price home with it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for bringing the his the winners of the past and I did get to see the last shelter at Chicago Film Festival online where it was just amazing to see the cores of that film and uh, even though I do wish that they could tell us the names as much as possible but I'll let it slide and uh, I really enjoy how they programmed the docs award and let's move on to the fact award which is the best journalistic films in the large format where some films that I got to see through Sundance were to the end from Knock Down the House, Rachel Lears, which you could say it's definitely a sequel because there's ALC in this one where ALC and three other BIPOC female activists take the fight for Green New Deal to the center of power. And uh, I enjoy how Lears is patient enough and not go rushing with this one, and tries to have AOC as a documented character, and not use her fame and stardom really in this in this political placement or this other form of product placement in this film. Mm-hmm. And I got to see TikTok Boom already at Sundance, and it's everybody says familiar with. Um, Shalini Kantea's previous film, Coded Bias, about how different forms of technologies can become politicized and uh, how it creates racial disparities. And uh, I really enjoy seeing uh, the beatboxer, Spencer Kay, I believe that's his name, in his film, where he really tries to share how TikTok can become like living where his parents didn't necessarily believe that first and other films. Oh, there's also the territory that I was able to see a true false and was able to see how the news footage how, and how the news footage in that movie compares to what's happening with the, the U-U-Wawa surveillance team and other films that I'm excited to see are Rules of War from uh, Guido Hendricks, who previously did the past CPH docs film, A Man and Camera, where he returns to Rules of War about a uh, Red Cross delegate and the group of hardcore South Sudanese soldiers clashing reviews of war and conflict, as well as seeing Black Mambas. I think it played at Burnley now, please correct me if I'm wrong, but it's about the South African Woman of Black Mamba swear to Fight Against Poachers is also Fight for Women's Liberation and Empowerment. And a lot of these films have social issues and I'm not good at my research with this, but I would definitely go with either the Chocolate War or the Territory for CPH Fact Award.
2: Yeah, I think that's some great insight. Um, looking into the previous winners for this one, Um, Last year's winner was When a City Rises, and it was about the Hong Kong protest. And this um, award and this competition really um, is focused on political films that are relevant now that are kind of having a message and an urgency um, that we need to act on now. So I think uh, you were spot on with your territory call. I think the territory has gotten a lot of acclaim out of previous festivals right now. And I think the issues with the Brazilian rainforest and the indigenous territory that's getting taken over is somewhat bubbling into the mainstream, um, um, conscious. So I think a film like this getting more recognition um, with a path to even bigger nominations later down the year, I think, I think could be an easy, an easy prediction of something that might be able to take it home.
1: Yeah, the territory we already know it's already acquired by Nat Geo, so. We won't be surprised later down the stretch when it gets to the critics and hopefully the Oscars, who knows, but it's always great to see the early, early predictions before we see how different releases and premieres at player festivals will die out this wave. So Mm -hmm. I really can't wait to see the fact awards about how it will play out and I'm really interested in seeing the next wave options where there have been some films that got to play at Sundance, like Nothing Compares, Riotsville movie that got to see at True Falls after saying that it was my doc to watch and our 2022 episode way back. And we met in virtual reality where um, that movie where I was able to see a True Falls where I did Get to learn how to appreciate the flaws of VR chat and the flaws because its authenticity and even saw a workshop where director Joe Hunting show how he made, we virtual reality where, it, it may seem like that you're using a screen recording software like OBS just to record on a desktop. No, that's not it really. He uses a a device where it creates a real life similar camera in VR with different tools where you can change the exposure, aperture to make the images shallow, focused. Mm. And that it was crazy where we see how the VR chat user Jenny showed when they did the tutorial, and you literally see an actual camera in Joe's hand during the making. <laughs> Tutorial. So you're, it's crazy how we record things in real life and into VR chat. And I really can't wait to see where Joe Hunting's career will go with that movie. And I expect him to be a 25 new face, maybe, but it's just too early to predict. But I won't be surprised I see him down the stretch. And uh, other films in uh, Next Wave includes... Musha Lane, which is a family epic where the film's director, Anita Hoplin, looks back at the history of her two families over 15 years in Grouchy and Copperhangen and um, An Eternity of You and Me, like like a funny tale about gender roles and two people's struggles to fulfill their dream of having a child, with director San Thys being the female lead, so... You get to see different ways of how films can be seen and be innovative, but still have the main tools of what makes the documentary. So with the next wave, I think I'll go with the, we meant in virtual reality. If it's not that, like I hate playing the Sundance, and true false card, but Ryan's Village is because of the different ways Sierra and editor Nell's Bath. I forgot his last name, but Nelson Sierra combining images from the past to make a contemporary where there's multiple shot angles of the same scene from what they found from the press, university press, and the, the military and government and different news sources. And also how they do their best to avoid violence and possible because we don't want to re-trump the ties of <laughs> communities that have already been affected by this not new information. And I think it'll be Ridesville or Remember Virtuality, but I won't be surprised if I see Musa Lane or even at the, the documentary comedy Pawn Shop in it. So it, different forms, different meaning styles, but who knows what will touch the jury.
2: Yeah, I'm excited to see what comes out of all these emerging filmmakers. Um, hopefully this is the grand stage for a lot of them to kind of have that breakthrough and we see many more films from them in the years to come. Um, well, you took a look at that one. I looked at the NORC docs competition um, where they showcase films from their corner of the world. Um, and there are a lot of good ones this year. Um, the previous winner was Julia and I, and it was about a friendship between the filmmaker and her friend who's an artist. Um, And it played out throughout the year. So I kind of, again, looked at that personal connection that also kind of showcases the area and all the great things. Um, One film that stood out to me was Daughters. Um, It's a sensitive film about three young girls grieving after their mother's suicide. And it's told over a period of 10 years. Um, It's labeled as an unsentimental education made with love which I think is really um, a unique way to showcase this true story that happened to them. Um, Another one was Just Animals. Um, It's an adrenaline-fueled activist film um, about a young woman um, who's kind of self-discovering herself, becoming politically aware for the first time, dealing with her own cynicism of just realizing that the idealist um, imagery we have of the real world doesn't always come to true, no matter how bad we want it to be. Um, so I think there's gonna be a lot of eyes on that, The still for that, like you mentioned earlier, immediately captures your eye with this very faint purple lighting. Um, but I think the one that's gonna take it home this year is All That Remains To Be Seen. It's by Julia Mazden from Denmark in Finland. Um, it's about a blind mother and her seven-year-old son as they teach each other how to navigate the world as his vision slowly fades. um, I can't think of any documentaries that really come to mind that play both on losing a sense along with that paternal relationship. So I think the combination of that would just be very interesting and relatable for anyone even without an impairment like that, but also be very educational to see how that affects the personal life between, how that comes in with a family and how we can use families to grow, but also the struggles that come with it.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for bringing some of these films as I didn't want to come into that because I am not familiar with that category, but, and speaking earlier, what you said about the Wednesday Rises at the Fact Award, I really wanted to say that I got to see A Big Sky, which made its North American premiere there and also just seeing how the people who have a passion in protesting there have also reason to, like why they should do it if they're gonna keep getting arrested, you know. And also mm-hmm. the personal lives that come to like and the relationships they have, uh, like, with at least one person, doing it with in a relationship with another that they'll not have the same interest in protesting and also seeing. A family person um, just leaving, uh, having the choice where he has to eventually leave town for a Battle World. And I can't wait to see that. And there are some non competition programs that I want to get there before we run out of time, like the special premieres. We know Descendant that we spoke of in our South by episode, but it's great to see again into Copenhagen before it comes to Netflix. And there's also Wire from Jono and Benjamin Bergman about Germany's biggest financial scandal in the heart hitting docu-thriller about big egos, billions of euros and shattered illusions. And also seeing Novo Rosia, which is a brand new film from Ukrainian eastern fronts of Donetsk and Luhansk Square the Russian army and pro-Russian separates have been waging war against Ukraine even before Putin's scale invasion in 2022, where it's amazing to see the films to have a a timely, but also not timely because there's just been long-term issues in these conflicts. And sometimes feel weird when people bring up the word timely or even before this, you do realize that there has been work to prevent the happening like years or decades ago.
2: Absolutely.
0: Today's review, Fatal Attraction. I first saw this film a few years ago on a Saturday night with my family. It was great to see Michael Douglas as Dan and Glenn Close as Alex on the screen where they brought their A game on screen to find connection when we are alone and not attached to anyone physically at the moment. Yes, he was married, but it added the multiple layers of displaying the consequences of infidelity. In addition, the editing adds to the tension between love and family life, notably in the scene with the stove. Director Adrian Lyon creates shockwaves towards unpredictable patterns of the film's character arcs. I was excited to hear about it again when our past guest Nick Robbins brought the film up recently as a recommendation. For those who haven't seen it, it is about the happily married father Dan who has an affair with Alex when his wife and kid are out of town. When was supposed to be a one night stand, it became a contagious game of cat and mouse. Without too many spoilers, I give it 3 out of 5 stars. I liked it in high regard a few years ago. Now I like it less today because of having proper knowledge of what stalking is and it feels weird to watch it in the digital age, where I would block Alex Forrest if possible. Also, I didn't particularly appreciate the film's portrayal of women, where one of the messages is that they need a man to live. And finally, the film should have talked about therapy, as people did not widely discuss mental illness in the 80s. And the film unintentionally created the gender term, bunny boiler, To describe obsessive spurned woman after not reading it four years prior, I found that out after rereading the film's Wikipedia page a couple months ago. Outside that term, I have critiques on its ending. I have to say in that ending, where did that character found a gun? The film never highlights the foreshadowing or scenes of the character acquiring it. Instead, it creates a cop-out for the movie where you have to give a message that violence is the answer to your problem or to use violence to prove one's loyalty. The ending that I saw and what's many presented in many releases and services is the alternate ending. I want to see the original ending, but I am concerned if this will affect the film I remember and somewhat admire. I do not know if it will make Alex less sympathetic as I stated before. The film is not the best depiction of women and mental health. The film is honestly a bit too long where it could have honestly been like an hour long TV movie. And there were moments where Dan created versions from Alex which did not necessarily move the story forward efficiently. If they were shorter, the film wouldn't drag too much and be more on point instead of building up at its slow pace. Outside these aspects. The film buys the discovery of meeting one person and the entrapment of a life-changing interaction that makes Alex and Ian keep seeing each other. And that's my take.
1: Yeah, and also with highlights, like, that's definitely a great program where you guys see the best of films from the past, where there's a Second Chance that we spoke of in our South by episode, and... The Sundance Award winner, A House Made of Splinters, which is about an orphanage in Eastern Ukraine with so much observational footage and moments of hope where we see tears turn to soap bubbles and hugs turning into fights. And that's a movie that I hope that I can see soon once it hopefully comes to Doc NYC maybe or Tribeca. But there's also Ascension, the Oscar-nominated Jessica Kingdon film, which I don't know how um, eligibility for festivals work internationally, because I know in the U.S. that once you have a theatrical release, you're no longer able to play at U.S. film festivals. But it's cool to see it there. And there's also Andrew Arnold's cow and Nina Menck's Brainwatch Sex Camera Powerwear I was hoping to see it at Sundance, but I don't have all the money to see every movie there. As well as mm-hmm. the the Neutral Ground from C.J. Hunt, which is feels like a long Daily Show episode, but it becomes its own thing, where C.J. Hunt travels to New Orleans and observes like people's behaviors in relation to the Confederate statues, and Roy Wood Jr. says to produce the producer on his Hunt was a past few producer on Daily Show. I don't know if he's still there now, but I'm happy to see CJ Hunt breaking the mold as uh, behind the scenes from the Daily Show and getting to his own spotlight there, as it's also available on PBS's POV. And there is the Tribeca's We Were Once Kids, where the people behind that were part of the making of the kids, like the young sex craze skaters, speak out what happened 25 years later as there's a lot of concerns about like even with page wages issues or even the age issues about showing um, sex on film. And uh, some other films I think I didn't get into. Oh, Counter Girls that played at Sundance which is about a troop of 60 plus female dancers in Florida giving their own generation a Fresh Shot of Vitality Through Colorful Dance Numbers and Irresistible Optimism, and uh, I don't know Is there, like, is there any other films in the highlights that you love?
2: Um, I haven't got to see any of these, but Young Plato caught my attention. Um, it's from France and Belgium. It's about a Belfast school where the principal uses the teachings of Plato, um, Nietzsche, and Elvis Presley to resolve... Um, tension and conflicts amongst his students um I think I always love films about education and just kind of showing different ways globally that uh, leaders are educating and practices just because our education system is so cookie cutter and dry that it always captures my attention just see something done in a completely different way so that one is definitely on my radar mm-hmm. oh yeah I just remember I just that there's Balcony movie,
1: which I got to see at Big Sky. It was such a funny movie where the director just records everything from his balcony. And it's cool to see some people reprising briefly after they were introduced. And uh, even though it could be like maybe a short film, but I felt it was best at this hundred minutes with so many different conversations and so much match cuts of the same setting. Well, it's as it's basically shot from Powell Lozinski's own backyard, own balcony. And there's also the movie River from Jennifer Petem from Australia, where it features a narration from Oscar nominated actor Willem Defoe and new music by the recent Oscar nominated composer Johnny Greenwood of Radiohead, where it's a cinematic journey around the world's river and. It features the great nature experience on the big screen which makes me think of several movies that true falls like the recent still side where there's powerful narration along with scenes of nature and shots that ask you some deep questions. Like this is a movie that I can't wait to see. Like it doesn't, won't feel too long as 75 minutes but can't wait for the highlights and now I want to talk about the sound and vision which is like, its own music program at F.S., like with South by Tribeca. I didn't even know that there is a music program until there was, until I just saw a couple of days ago.
2: Is there anything that's catching your eye with that one?
1: Yeah, there is some that I'm familiar with, like, Look at Me that is premiere at South by about XXS and Tasty I got to see Sirens and Miha at True Falls, and just enjoy seeing how the music becomes part of the story for the characters in Sirens, like with Leia and Sherry, I think those are the two characters' names. And with Miha, I really enjoy just seeing how, well, I got to learn at True Falls that Doris, the featured participant in the film, is a music supervisor for the film, so she knows... Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, it's great to see how she navigates the different types of music that feels different moods for the story and seeing how she has to transition when she loses Kuko due to COVID and got this new client with Jax, and it's already got acquired by Disney, so it'll be on Disney Plus soon, as well as a scripted content based off the series that will be on FX where it's LaBelle Castro will have a consulting producer. And I spoke to her at true false where she may or may not write a direct episode. So it's great to see her tr- transition from nonfiction to fiction. And who knows if there's going to be extended stories within the Mihai universe outside of the doc and the, FX series and there's also this much I know to be true from Andrew Dominic of The Assassination of Jesse James where it features Nick Cave and bandmate Warren Ellis in the film performance featuring tracks from the last two albums with space for existential fan correspondence and Cave's own porcelain sculptures of the devil's life and Brent Wilson, I'm not sure if he's related to Brian Wilson, the Beach Boys, but it's a music doc about Brian Wilson and his troubled mind where he looks back on the endless summers with his buddies in the Beach Boys and there is going to be a Cog film. And there is also the computer accent from memory producer, Ryle Rock, doctor as memory does a lot of experimental works their most famous films includes member oh, includes "Rap Movie," "Flash Rap Film," "Crestone," and uh, "All Light Everywhere." And uh, this one will have a brilliant, beautiful, unique version of American pop groups Yacht's radical experiment. And uh, there was also Sundance's. Mimi Me in the Bathroom, where the Strokes, yeah, yeah, it's an LCD sound system. Uh, go back to t- back to the 2000s, when the electric guitar rocked the charts. And also, Sinead O'Connor documentary, Nothing Compares, I Play at Sundance. So it's beautiful to see how music is involved in one's life, and there's just so many versions you could take on it, as well as the film, How You... Uh, Leonard Cohen's journey so it's beautiful just to see some established and emerging musicians getting the spotlight at this premiere destination at C-Page Docs as well as Bernstein's Wall that play at Tribeca, Telluride, and AFI Fest last year from procession producer Douglas Torella and fun fact I was a PA on it, where I gathered some of the archival footage and made it to the final film, but somehow I didn't get credit. But I was an intern, I didn't get paid, so that's fine.
2: Well, we 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 know we know the truth. It's,
1: yeah, we sure do. But yeah, it's just beautiful and tremendous to see all these musicians getting a chance to be on spotlight, even if they got to play at Sundance, True Falls, or Tribeca. We know that. Some of these films are it's huge European or Denmark premiere at CPH. And there's just two other films that I want to mention in The Change Makers from Find the Gap's Oscar nominated director, Being Lose, All These Sons, where um, he follows two activists who work tirelessly to get young black men out of Chicago's toughest gang environments that play at Tribeca, Camden, Beavine, London, as well as the movie Fuck This Job about the rise and fall of a Russian TV channel with a new bioparty princess at the helm. And it's a media thriller. Godzilla got see it at Doc NYC. And it was beautiful just to see how we see a family tale between uh, the the. I think Veer was the, the star of that movie and her husband, how this, um, venture really affects them personally. And, uh, other in one last program, I want to give a shout out in is artists and auteurs where we see some, uh, works from the greatest and filmmakers and artists across the world where there's Futura that play at New York Film Festival and Cons, a collaboration from directors Elias Warwalker, Pietro Marcello, and Francesco Munzi, where they are the three of the most exciting Italian filmmakers traveling the land and interview the young about their dreams and concerns for the future. And there's Prism that got to play in the current program at New York Film Festival, where it's like coded bias in even times with TikTok Boom where we show how, where the film shows how cameras been optimized for white skin tones and three artists from Cameroon, Belgium and Burkina Faso explore how films technologies invisible biases linked to historical inequality. There is the afterlight from Charlie Shackleton of Beyond Clueless and his um, work, his VR performance or live performance of As My Exactly that got to play at True False and at First Look Film Festival where he brings the afterlife, which is about the lost movies where this movie exists in only one 35 millimeter film print. And after each time that movie plays, parts of that movie will die and it'll become faded as this movie wow. will never be yeah, it's so damn crazy where this movie will never actually get to be on DVD or Blu-ray or on streaming service where each time that movie plays, it will die at some point and who knows if it'll ever come to New, New York and I would love to see it there I hope I get to see Shackleton again at the first look film festival and ask him how can I see the afterlight? And then, <clears throat> yeah, I don't expect a certain yes, but who knows? And there's also The Year of the Everlasting Storm, a seven-filmmaker-collaborative project which is a love letter to the world and to cinema from a year soon-to-be-two of Bubble Storm featuring a mix of documentary fiction video art and some of the noble directors of it includes Jafar Panahi, of uh, This Is Not a Film and Taxi, David Lowry of The Green Knight, Laura Poitras of Citizen Four and The Oath. And Pong, we was set a call of Uncle Boomy and Memorial. So some of the greatest independent filmmakers of the 2010s are back into making a collaborative film anthology of what it means to like be away from, or be close to a storm.
2: Sounds incredible. Um, One little one in this section that I wanted to highlight is The Perfect Boyfriend by Cario Kineshata and Elaine Negra, um, which is about, which is a fiction hybrid. from modern Japan where three adult men fall in love with a fictional character from a video game. So we're finally seeing her um, come to life as a documentary. So that one is obviously gonna be something that I am going to be keyed in throughout the year because nothing's more enjoyable than grown men falling in love with their phones. hmm
1: And there's also one more movie that I just saw in the lineup from Lucretia Martel of The Headless Body. And I know she has a move, she's a huge popular Argentina director, which she returns to her hometown, Salida, to film singer Julieta Lasso in an atmospheric musical portrait of a group of female artists. And really great to see her stepping into the documentary sphere, as well as Charlotte Gainsbourg. I think she's an actress, and I know that she. I believe she was on Birdman, but don't call me on that. But Charlotte Gainsbourg did a movie about her mother Jane Birkin, which is an intimate mother-daughter story, the rarest kind, and about life, death, art, love, and two remarkable women in front of the camera. And that's are some, the best films that you know of coming into this fest, and. I really can't wait to see how some of them are trying to get that distribution deal, whether it's with Riotsville, Remand, Virtual Reality, or even just seeing how some of these films that was surprised how so Americanized it is with neutral ground or even with TikTok Boom more into their, their conventional form than the experiment more to do their form really, but It's great to see them getting to play at CPH docs where with the neutral ground and all these sons and the kids documentary being so long ago. I just don't know how the festival circuit works for features sometimes, but I'm happy to see where they end, and I know that we don't have much time left, but is there anything else we want to add, Jonah?
2: No, I just think that this is an amazing lineup of films um, and definitely has put this festival on my map where it's something I want to look forward to every year just to see how the competition plays out. We'll have to check back in on it. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, who knows if these films will get to be at Telluride, Tribeca, or Doc NRC, but it's always great to see films in this early stage. Who knows if they'll ever come back to a layer festival because I just wonder if, as I said earlier, if the wave or the, the burst will die out with more premieres of the top expected or anticipated films from the top tours later down the year. Absolutely. Yeah, I know you need to get going, but it's nice to speak with you, Jonah. It's always great
2: to speak with you, Eddie. I hope you have a great rest of your day. And thanks for listening, everyone.
1: Today's
0: concluding thought traveling. I love to travel. I like to list every state slash providence per country because I know that it is rare for me to go further away from my place of residence. It creates the excitement of discovering whether I travel from my permanent family house in the North Chicago suburbs, my college apartment when I was a student in Mid-Missouri, and my current apartment in Brooklyn. In the United States I went to Florida, Georgia, California, Montana, Washington, Washington DC, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, Arkansas, Missouri, Illinois, Wisconsin, Texas, Georgia, New York, New Jersey, Maryland, Virginia, Arizona, Utah, Nevada, Kansas, Michigan, West Virginia, and North Carolina. So far, I attended Mexico, Bulgaria, Turkey, and the Caribbean on a cruise ship on my birthday trip in 2010 i've never been to the continents asia africa and australia i'm not sure if i have been to south america but i will eventually step on all continents except antarctica and the other 27 u.s states at one point unfortunately not everyone has the privilege or money to do this hobby ever or at a high frequency rate in addition several cities across the globe have iffy layouts and facilities that do not accommodate people with physical disabilities or who use a wheelchair it screwed up how institutions do not see people's necessities for wheelchairs as an extension of their bodies several airlines like delta gaslight them and claim to have more knowledge of wheelchairs than the people who actually use that wheelchair Daily and did not see the financial inequities that, depending on the wheelchair's manufacturer model, people who use a wheelchair face. If you travel several times, I have to say on my end that it takes a lot of your budget to attend events or see friends several states and miles away. It also creates exhaustion from moving in all modes of transportation. While relaxed by riding a bus, train, ship, or airplane, if you're not easily susceptible to vehicle sounds. It is emotionally taxing to drive a car or motorcycle to get to your destination. No matter what, you will always need to sleep after arriving at your room to rest after traveling for several hours. Luckily, my brother and I have a car where we can go on road trips. The best part of living in the tri-state area is that it can take an hour or two to be in another state. Therefore, I do not ever have to pay for renting a car while being in the northeastern US region. I want to take advantage of this opportunity when it is reasonable to go to Philadelphia, Montclair, or Norwalk. It gives me a break from my day-to-day life and provides me the breadth of nearby tourism with a remarkable history of every city I walk on. I know that I live in a town with many quaint festivals and I hope to represent Real Print Out of State one day whether that's Montclair, Blackstar, Philadelphia, TIFF, Camden, and other festivals within an 8 hour drive. I would love to do that instead of flying because I get to be in new states when I'm on land. Unfortunately, flying is more reasonable for 4 hour plus road trips due to current gas prices. Like many of us, I want it to be reduced so that everyone can live better. And that's today's concluding thought. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Real Print. This episode's music includes Continuum Mutation, courtesy of Kama. Like Clockwork by Benjamin Kling, courtesy of Epidemic Sounds. And Shimmering by Rafa Orchestra, courtesy of Epidemic Sounds. This episode is co-produced and edited by Anish Katu and Edward Frumpkin. Please check out this episode's notes and links, as well as reviews, award, and seasonal predictions and essays written by yours truly at realprint.org. That is R-E-E-L print This is Edward Frumpkin, signing off.